Hello, my friends. This is Bishop Campbell welcoming you again to a short meditation on the theme of living the Catholic life. In my previous talk, I spoke about the effects and the challenges of the overturning of Roe versus Wade by the Supreme Court in late June of this year. But I would like to take a slightly different approach to talking about the after-effects of that decision on American life in general, but on, particularly on the life of Catholics within not only the Church, but within the larger national uh, community. For some time, I've been asking myself, what kind of effect has Catholic sensibility in Catholic life had on American culture in general? And sometimes I realize that it has very, has had very little effect, especially in the latter part of the 20th century and the early part of the 21st. As, uh, and particularly when we compare it with the effect of uh, Catholic culture upon the larger culture at the beginning of the 20th century, when Catholic social teaching became more and more a part of the, the American uh, political scene, but also cultural realities, dealing with, with labor, with economics, and so forth. I think part of the problem in answering uh, what kind of effect we have now is the fact that when I speak about American culture, I wonder if I'm speaking about anything that actually exists anymore. Is there something we can identify as a common culture? Or have we fallen into the trap of believing that everyone has his own truth? Now, the decision on the part of the Supreme Court to overturn Roe versus Wade was a wake-up call. I think for us Catholics to remain politically vigilant and persuasive. I think we have to become more articulate in our willingness to teach boldly in the public square. And I think it is important for us to continue and to deepen our witness through our charitable activities. Because we witness to the meaning of the culture of life, not only in the preservation of human life within the womb, but the human life that continues until the point of natural death. And every stage of that life is important for us to understand and to support and to encourage and to demonstrate the deep compassion through Jesus Christ. But I think there is a greater challenge here, and it is one that has become more pressing since, I think, the 1960s and 1970s, and that is the challenge to create an authentically Catholic culture. Now, if you think back, or at least what I can, back to the uh, 40s and 50s and 60s, there was a Catholic culture that existed, but it was by and large 
a culture sustained by the various ethnic groups. There was an Irish Catholicism, a Polish Catholicism, a German Catholicism, an Italian Catholicism, a Latino Catholicism. And they were rich and vibrant and an authentic culture of habit, of everyday life. But with the decline in ethnic identities in the middle of the 20th century, there was also a decline in Catholic culture. And a question arose among Catholics is how, in fact, do we, having lost those ethnic identities, come to define what is an authentic Catholic culture in America? How do we live as Americans in authentic Catholic culture? Now, the meaning of the term culture is important. Pope St. John Paul II always insisted on the the vital aspect of culture for the identity of, of peoples and also for the support of human dignity. The word culture comes from the word cultus, which means an act of worship. Culture seems to have originally uh, uh, blossomed out of religious observances and out of an encounter in whatever shape there was with the transcendent, with the divine, with a creative power beyond human capacities, but not beyond human understanding and human response. And a culture is composed of a lived collection of beliefs, of habits of life, of communal customs, of attitudes one takes toward the meaning of existence and the expectations that one has of the meaning of human life. Not only why we are here, but where we are going. Now, of course, uh, when I was a child, and I I usually don't like to uh, use that expression because it brings up jokes about uh, traveling uh, back and forth from home always on foot, and it was uphill both ways. But when I was a child, there was a very rich set of customs that preserved that culture and made it expressive. I think of the Friday abstinence, which actually had a very interesting effect on general American culture. The founder of McDonald's could not understand why the purchase of hamburgers fell on Friday. And what was he going to do about it? Well, of course, someone once told him about the Catholic uh, custom of abstinence. So he provided and invented the fish sandwich for Friday, and sales went up. Now, that seems to be a very small act of the effect of culture, but in fact, it's an expression of how these communal customs, uh, little phrases that uh, we would use, a particular kind uh, of language around our sacramental life, what we have come to expect uh, of our life, how we are to live it, How do we approach such vital aspects of community living as marriage, the education of children? How do we live as a community and how do we we relate as as neighbors? Now, this, this culture, as I said, does emerge, and it emerged 
both in written history and I think even in prehistory as it is being discovered by anthropologists. Essentially from our relationship with God and how that relationship is lived out. I think for Catholics, certainly, that relationship is expressed not only in our particular beliefs, but in our liturgy and our language of prayer, how this actually becomes part of our lived reality, our prayer. It uh, sinks into our hearts and minds. And I think, secondly, we have those small acts of our community life, our Lenten fast, our dining, uh, downing the ashes on Ash Wednesday, things that uh, are a public statement of how we believe, but how, how we live together, how we celebrate, uh, say, Holy Week, how we approach Christmas. And these communal aspects, the praying of the rosary, uh, the, the visits to the church are all part of that, that Catholic culture. But I think thirdly, and what makes uh, Catholics not really unique, but certainly uh, out of the ordinary, is a profound reverence we have for all of God's creation, because we know creation is the first revelation of who God is to us. And that reverence for a relation, for, for the creation that we understand, is certainly an aspect that prompts us and encourages us to develop a way of life and a culture of life that respects that reverence that is due it. And it extends then to the dignity of others. I think it is important to remember how, in fact, that sense of the presence of Christ in the other is so deeply a part of, of Catholic life. Just as our sacramental life, which really is rooted in how things of nature can be drawn up into divine life, bread, wine, oil, so too can our communal life be enriched by an understanding of how Christ is present not only in us, but in others. C.S. Lewis once wrote that next to the Blessed Sacrament, the greatest, most powerful presence of Jesus Christ is other human beings. So that, of course, is that, that power of life. <clears throat> and so... I want to stress that this aspect of developing a, a Catholic culture, which is at the same time a culture of life. And I think it is incumbent upon us Catholics not only to make more explicit, but more real in our own lives, the meaning of the dignity of human life made in the image and likeness of God. And underscoring this sense of the dignity of human life, <clears throat> to speak also and to live the reality of the understanding that our destiny in this life is towards God, that we are, are here on earth, as the old catechism used to say, to know God, to love him, and to serve him in this world and the next that the whole of our life from the uh, beginning at 
procreation to the natural end, is sustained by God, oriented toward God, and enriched constantly by his presence. But we also, uh, from our Catholic understanding of our life here on earth, know we have no lasting city. That we live in an actual world. We live in a time of place and, and temporality. And we have a responsibility to the place and the time in which we live. But they are simply way stations on our greater life, which is the kingdom of God and life everlasting. So everything we do is really under, uh, under the panoply of the kingdom of life everlasting. And it even touches the way we live out our social obligations and our political life. For Catholics understand that although political organizations, that, that political structures are quite natural to human life, they are limited in their scope and in their power. For as St. Peter said to the Sanhedrin, there is no other name in heaven or on earth by which we are saved than the name of Jesus Christ. And therefore it is always better to obey God rather than man. And it is a statement both of our obligations to our political life but also to our realizations of the limits of that life. Politics can't solve everything. And in fact, so often when they attempt to solve everything, it falls apart. And I think that as part of this Catholic culture is that understanding that the faithful live here on earth between humility and hope. We know we are called to do particular things in this world, and those things we can do, we ought to do. But we never presume to do everything. We are not God, but we have profound hope, and we can reflect him in those small acts. I think this is what is so important for us as Catholics, to understand the necessity to know the saints. Because here are individual men and women who in very small ways accomplished something that was to have ripples throughout life. I think of St. John Vianney, whose feast day we celebrate on August the 4th. He was no great scholar. In fact, he had a very spotty uh, seminary education because of the effects of the French Revolution. But when he was ordained a priest, he was sent to a faraway uh, village in the mountains and there, everyone thought he would just sink into obscurity. It was also uh, known as the Valley of Darkness because there was great unbelief, a great abandonment of Christianity. But St. John Vianney uh, just showed up in his simple, powerful way. He preached. He visited the sick and dying. He celebrated the sacraments. And he encouraged prayer. And after a while, his innate sanctity drew people to the village. It was like a, a renaissance of a, a faith in his simple ways. He was once asked, how do you pray? 
And he said, well, I go to the church and I see God and God sees me and we are at peace. Now, who wouldn't want that? But uh, his, his fame spread throughout all of France. People would go on pilgrimage to see him, this very simple man. I think of the extraordinary work of St. Francis Cabrini here in the United States, not only among the Italian immigrants, but throughout the, uh, the word in establishing uh, hospitals and orphanages and, and schools. Very, very uh, simple person with a very strong will, I have to admit. Think of St. Therese of Lisieux, living in enclosure in a Carmelite, uh, Carmelite monastery. But yet how extraordinarily attractive and popular she became. And I think of the great minds, the power of the preaching of St. Bernard of Clairvaux, whose feast we celebrate on August 20th, or St. Thomas Aquinas, or the newly canonized St. John Henry Newman. And these not only enrich our culture, but expand it. And I think that realizing the profound richness we have in our history, our traditions, it is a great goad and encouragement for us to expand this to a culture that will affect all of American life. 